0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paradise Perspective. I am your host, Dalen Burgess, and today we have a very special guest. This guy has been a positive influence on my life. We met in October. We met in October, right? Yeah, October. October, and it's been a blast ever since. This guy is full of energy, positivity, and just here's a little background information on My guest today, he's a psychology researcher at the Mindset Assessment Project. He's a a psychology researcher at Whitesboro High School and at James Madison University's Honors College. He is the host of The Best Podcast, and he graduated from James Madison University with a bachelor's degree in psychology and Spanish in 2018. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome Matt Best to the Paradise Perspective. Thank How are you man. doing today, bro? I appreciate
1: it. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm happy to, to be a guest on, on your podcast after, after you're on mine. And I'm all, I always look forward to our conversation. So this will be great.
0: Yes, it will. And so let's get right into it. I see, Matt, that you're into psychology. You have a lot of psychology accolades, man. But you interconnect psychology and sports. I know you have volunteer experience as a sports and motivational psychology consultant at Shenandoah Valley United Soccer Club. Sure. You've done that for nine months, and you're a sport and motivational psychology consultant at Broadway High School for the boys' soccer team, which is sure. your current position. I just want to know, and the audience will probably would like to know, what inspired you to become a sports motivational psychologist. Like, what influenced you to, you know, one, want to take on psychology as a major, and two, what made you want to look into the psychology of athletes and their mindsets?
1: Yeah, so it's definitely a big question, so I can kind of break that down. Um, It first really started kind of in high school. I was randomly in a Barnes & Noble one day looking through books, and I saw this book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, and it said, Mindset, the new psychology of success. And I was like, huh, interesting, because I'd always wanted to be successful in whatever I did. And I picked it up. I was like, Mom, can I get it? And she looked at me with the weirdest face and said, When was the last time you read a whole book? And I was like, That's a fair point. But I really begged and pushed Mom to get this book. And she said yes. And I read it in a month. And it really changed my perspective in terms of how I was thinking about things. And I think it was something that came at the right time because. The book talks about growth mindset, which is the belief that your abilities and and intelligence can grow through effort and through changing strategies, seeking help, and being willing to face challenges and learn from failure. And that certainly was not the perspective that I had had before then. I just wanted to look good. I wanted to get the accolades and, and hide away from the failure. And after that, I started to apply this growth mindset in my life, and I applied it in my education and then also took it into sport. So I played golf throughout high school and applying mindset into that really helped me improve. It opened me up to being willing to try new things, improving techniques, um, trying and, and working with, with different coaches, etc. to improve and that definitely helped me a ton to, to become a much better player. So I saw that in sport and then coming to university I knew that I wanted to learn more about how mindset's related to performance and and well-being outcomes. And I found a research lab here with a fantastic research mentor named Ken Barron, who's an incredible researcher, human being, and spent the past three and a half years working with him, learning from him, and then also spending time in my classes learning about different facets of mindsets and, you know, psychological factors which relate to, to outcomes so all of that has really kind of tied in and then doing research in both education and sport through the opportunity which opened up with the mindset assessment project to to work with U.S. soccer um, that's all really kind of opened my eyes so much to the potential of the field and how positive of an impact it can make on people.
0: That's good to hear and it's cool to have your mentor. You said Ken Barron yeah. was a guy that you looked up to, like took you under his wing Absolutely. to teach you the ropes and help you establish yourself in the psychology department. Um, what were some things that he taught you that you still apply to your studies and your research to this day?
1: Yeah, there's, there's so much. Um, Ken has been probably the most positive influence who I've, I've had in my life. He's guided me in all sorts of ways and he's, he's pushed me to be the best version of myself that I could be. Um, He's pushed me to be scientific and to be the best researcher I can be in terms of assessing validity and and understanding science and and how we should be going about uh, developing our knowledge of psychology through scientific perspectives and empirical research, understanding rigor and what that means in that area. And also understanding you know the need to continue to grow your mind at all times especially within this field I mean motivation is so open and broad and there are so many factors within it which discuss relationships between all these factors and performance and you need to read you need to spend time you need to be disciplined to continue to learn at all times to understand uh, all these factors and how they relate to performance so in my work with him I've definitely learned that discipline piece and in in regards to growth mindset which I discussed before he is one of the best human examples of what it means to be growth minded Um, he constantly is looking to improve and even at the age of 45 he picked up snowboarding to spend time with his that's nice that's that's awesome man yeah and all of that like like, that's just one example of how kind of he plays things out in his life to be just as successful as he can in terms of both his performance as as a researcher to to be the best researcher he can be and to be, you know, one of the best research practitioners he can be as well as, you know, living a really great life, you know, being a great servant to others, being a great servant to his family and all the people around him. So There's so much that I respect about him. I could go on for hours and hours, but those are just a few traits which I deeply admire.
0: And that is connected to, you know, an athlete, you know, when the researchers are being the best that they could be, being ethical in their research and Mm -hmm. helping them, helping athletes with their mindsets and coming up with this data, they're not. You're not supposed to half step, you know, sure. your research. Because if you mm-hmm. like cheat the research and cheat the process, Absolutely. then in return, like you're cheating the athletes. You're not giving them legit information on how they can help themselves, not just themselves and their families. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's important how you mention one discipline and just trying to be the best that you can be. Not only does that apply to athletes or aspiring psychologists, but that's in everyday life. Being the best that you can be and having that discipline And whatever you're trying to do is crucial and key to one, being successful, and two, helping people get to where they wanna go. So that's cool how it's just everything is interconnected when everything just comes down to discipline and making sure that you're putting in 110% in whatever you're doing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, being willing to invest into that into the long term, right? He's been at it since the 90s, and he still loves what he does still super invested into it, still willing to put in hours and hours to continue to learn and, and be a student of the field, which you just wish for that for so many people. Like I, I wish that everyone could, could have that sort of relationship with the work that they do. You know, being able to do it over and over for years and years and to still find great learning opportunities, to still feel like you're growing, to still continue to, to become better each day, and to, to want to come back and to do more, um, it's something that I, I, I wish for everyone, and it's something that I find in my work, you know, even even though I can come to lab and, and be coding for six hours, um, it's enjoyable, because I understand the value in it, I see it, and, and it's something that I feel is kind of ingrained in me to do. You're passionate about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely, and, and having... Intrinsic motivation, you know, when you do something for the sake of doing it because you get joy out of it not necessarily because You know you're doing it for someone else or because you want to you know whether it be Look good for your family or friends or or to get to some other outcome, but if you can be doing something Which you're intrinsically motivated to do where you're doing it just because it's fun for you to do it You're gonna be in a really good spot
0: that's great advice. Just basically, guys, what it comes down to is finding your passion and let your gifts make way for you because if you do that, you will love what you do and do what you love. It won't, your work won't be considered a job. It will be more like a hobby and you're getting paid or you're just doing the things you need to do to make a living, but you're loving what you're doing. And that's what it comes down to, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd add on to that. There, there are certainly a lot of elements. I mean, you can be intrinsically motivated to do something, but you also have to understand all the other factors that go into it, right? Things are often a lot more holistic than, than we may think that they are. You know, I, even for me, I, I, I am intrinsically motivated to do a lot of these things, but we also have to understand that motivation isn't this thing that we have or we don't have. It's something which fluctuates something that 's fluid some days you 're going to wake up in the morning and maybe not feel it, but if you can push through those days it 's going to change things so understanding how fluid all of it is and how so many things interact with each other, I mean our environments change so much, and you can start to feel intrinsically motivated just because of the people that you 're around when you do certain work or the or the things that you associate with that work too so I wouldn't necessarily go about it as in, oh, you're either going to be motivated or you're not based on the, the thing that you're doing because there's so many other factors we can which can change it, right? Right. And, and that even goes into, into athletics, right? There are certain athletes who are phenomenal, intrinsically motivated to play basketball, but if they're on a team where they don't like everyone who they're around or the coach isn't playing them in a position where they want to be playing, they're not going to be as motivated and they're not going to want mm-hmm. to play as much as... As as they would if they had the conditions which they which they prefer.
0: That's great that you mentioned that. There are external factors that influence motivation. And we're just human.
1: Yeah,
0: we're human, not every day. Every you're not gonna go into every day just saying, oh, I wanna like do this today or do that today. Sure. You know? Yeah. We all go through things and but like you said, it's important to, you know figure out what that is, know what it is, be conscious of it and figure out how you can work through that and continue to push through and continue to grind. So that's a great way of putting it. So like we mentioned earlier, you are a researcher at the Mindset Assessment Project and you do some work, psychology work, for the U.S. men's soccer team. Can you go into depth into your for your drop, excuse me, can you go into depth as to what you do for the U.S. men's soccer, your job description, and stuff like that?
1: Sure, yeah, so, um... I'm the science lead for the Mindset Assessment Project. So, basically, what my work consists of with them is we, we have a partnership with the US Soccer Development Academy um, and the US Soccer Federation overall. Uh, so, lately, we've been working with the high performance department. And our main role uh, throughout our contract has been to construct a player survey to assess mindsets in players and understand the relationships between mindsets and performance outcomes. So, we've conducted the survey two years in, in a row now and then I'm preparing to to roll out the survey for a third time this year and that's been a large chunk of what we do and then I also spend a lot of time you know preparing data to analyze and preparing reports to analyze and things like that so a lot of what we do is the, the rigorous scientific side of of understanding psychology in sport and sport and outcomes so that's really the service that we provide is, is, how can sport organizations incorporate rigorous research into their approach to better understand their players' experiences and their outcomes?
0: We know psychology is important, but can you tell us why psychology and sports is just as important as psychology and other fields, just like knowing yourself, like a regular person knowing themselves and their mindsets and what they do why is psychology in sports in recent years there's been a lot of people looking into psychology in sports and trying to figure out you know and help these athletes with their mental state have you seen like a, a spike in the need for psychology in sports and why is it important that you know people are researching psychology in sports and trying to help these athletes out
1: yeah so I think there are a number of answers I could give you there there are there are lots of facets. Um, I'd say why is it happening? Um, there's a lot of money in sports, there's a lot of resources, and 1% means a championship or not a championship, playoffs or no playoffs. So those margins are so small for such different financial dividends for sport organizations. So when you think about that, you know if you can improve performance by 1% to change those outcomes, and that could come from the mental side, then why not implement something? So I'd say that that's probably the first answer and and the most practical answer I could give you as to why it's being researched more. However, in terms of athlete development and mindsets, it's certainly critical. I mean, when, when when you just think theoretically about situations in which athletes are developing and how they approach the game, players will have drastically different outcomes based on the way they, they approach the game, right? So the example that I always give is is growth mindset. So say you have two 13-year-old players, same amount of talent, same position um, in, say, soccer. So say you have two forwards who are 13 years old, both really want to play soccer, but they, they see their abilities in different ways. So one 13-year-old player thinks that, you know, he has just this God-given talent and there's nothing else that can be done other than the talent that he has and then the other player sees his abilities as adaptable so he can change his abilities based on the effort he puts in and the help that he seeks and the failure that he faces and being able to reflect on that so with these two players player one the player who just thinks he has this talent which can't change when he hits 15 years old and he hits a season where he's not able to control the ball as well at his feet and receive the ball from midfielders and the ball just keeps getting taken from him from defenders, he's not going to see that he can improve that skill because he thinks, oh, I'm not talented enough anymore. I'm not good enough anymore. Versus player two, who thinks that his abilities can change, he can improve, he can go through failure and challenge and, and learn from those mistakes, he's going to be able to adapt and grow and become a better player through the adversity he's facing. So player two is going to develop a lot more effectively over time than player one theoretically right. based on, on this sort of stuff.
0: That's a good point there. Um, just having like you said, player two having an awareness of what's going on, the mental capacity to mm-hmm. you know self-diagnose himself and critically think sure. having those skills will help him go further than player one who yeah. hasn't really developed those kind of um, mental, skills mental skills or type. cognitive skills yeah. that can help him take it to the next level because you could be physically gifted all, all you want mm-hmm. as you know in sports sometimes or most of the time people win it's a mental game mm-hmm. Yeah. One is conquering yourself, but two, you know, having the brain power and a wherewithal to know how can I mentally defeat my opponent yeah. or mentally get that next step ahead of the competition mm-hmm. to win whatever it is championship for soccer, football, basketball, whatever it may be. You know, there definitely has been more research now. It's not just how can we get a physical advantage, but mental advantage yeah. that I've seen and through articles academic research and stuff like that that I've been reading that really ties into the mental state. So it definitely is important and I feel like it's only gonna increase the awareness of, hey, athletes, get your mind right and know what's going on and especially for these businesses, if you want to be successful, win championships. It's in your best interest, you know, <laughs> to get to dig deep into psychology mm-hmm. and to figure out, hey, how can we get an advantage from that aspect? So that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's certainly ramping up too. I mean, more and more organizations are coming together to work with, whether it be sport, business, education, to address performance in terms of mindsets. And it's inspiring, and, and I'm happy to see it. You know, it's, it's certainly more competition in the field I'm in, but at the, at the same time, it's, it's more people who are going to experience positive change, uh, especially if it, it can come from the roots of strong empirical research um, that that I think is is the most inspiring part.
0: As a psychology researcher in sports, for you personally, what separates you from your peers?
1: In terms of what?
0: In terms of like your approach to psychology. For instance, you said it's a competitive field and I know you have aspirations. What do you wanna do within psychology?
1: Sure. Yeah, so I think in terms of the stuff that I do in in the Mindset Assessment Project at the same time, I think what we do is much more empirical and and has such greater scientific strength and rigor in terms of what we do versus a lot of psychologists will kind of do one-on-one consultation without lots of really strong collection of data or the way in which they go about analyzing an organization psychologically isn't as scientific mm-hmm. and, and and there's there's a lack of this strong procedure which has developed over time through iterations and studying the effects of, of that procedure and that's something that we do um, in our in our approach we're able to look at a, a variety of different mindsets whether it be personal or context we can construct different surveys, assessments to understand players' mindsets and how they interact with performance and we go about analyzing that data with great scientific rigor, higher level approaches to look at data from different angles to really understand it and then report it back in understandable terms to, to the organizations we work with. So I think it's scientific and very high level and at the same time able to be accessed by practitioners, which I think a lot of different companies and people in the space aren't multifaceted and so either they're really good at the one-on-one working with the organizations but they lack that scientific validity and rigor or they're really good with scientific stuff but they can't seem to translate. Okay. Um, So I think that we're getting really really good at combining those two things together and I think that our knowledge of the current state of research and where things are going and how we can contribute to that is going to allow us to, to definitely be one step ahead.
0: It's good stuff right there, man. Keep it pushing. You you're definitely are on your way. That's the goal. <laughs>
1: to keep it pushing for sure. All
0: right, let's move on to the topic of mental illness and its effect on professional athletes. I know you've heard a lot of um, information regarding the NFL and how they handle like mental illness CTE mm-hmm. and NFL and there's been a lot of backlash of their mishandling of yeah. the, treating their players mm-hmm. the way they deserve concussions, yeah, and, all concussions and all that etc yeah. in European is the NFL doing a good job of bringing awareness to like mental illness CTE and player safety
1: it's a very tough question because um, it's subjective I mean, for me, as someone who, you know, wants to conserve the mind and the brain, understands everything that it's capable of and, and all of that, I think, yeah, seeing what happens in the NFL, how the game is tailored and, and, and what that leads to in terms of head injuries, it's just not well-structured. I mean, there's so many head injuries. I mean, I haven't seen a football game where I haven't seen a guy taken off the field for a head injury. I haven't seen a, a game without that happening. Um, and even I think about injuries that aren't to the head, like a player who tears his ACL. I haven't seen it. I, it would be very hard for someone to mention the team that didn't have someone who tore an ACL or had a long term injury during their season. And that player has to go through a very long period of trauma for themselves to recover and get past that. Because oftentimes when you have those massive injuries, you don't know if you're ever going to play again. And you have to think about your family. You have to think about what you're going to do, how you're going to deal with things mentally Mm -hmm. as as a non-athlete in the world. And I think that there's just a lot going on in in, in terms of that. But at the same time, I I do think that players are stepping up to say things and, and to talk and to speak out in the public. Sure, some may not like those perspectives, however, I think the the science is backing it up in terms of everything that <laughs> that these injuries, especially with everything with cte is is causing um, in terms of you know suicide depression, all sorts of really bad mental health outcomes that are coming from you know interruptions of brain chemistry from all of those injuries so it's something that I certainly need to learn a lot more about in terms of the neuroscience stuff and all the little details, but from the kind of 10,000 foot above perspective, you'd like for them to do more for their athletes, um, and to, to improve the playing conditions so that it would be a little more sustainable because I know that like the average playing career for a player in the NFL is three years. Right. Yes. Stuff like that is really, really shocking, um, think oh how could they take care of their athletes more and 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 if even if they had methods what are their priorities
0: do if you were like the commissioner roger goodell and you see this (laughs) you see this disaster that's happening in front of you Mm -hmm. what would be some rules of regulation that you would add to the current system to help the overall mental state of the NFL players?
1: That's hard. Um, I would have to do a lot more reading and discussing with professional football players and things like that because I'd say that I'm just too uninformed to be able to create a policy and and things Mm -hmm. to do. However, I think that there's plenty that they could do. I mean, you just look at the way the game is played and you understand that the way in which the game is played creates the outcomes you know one of my favorite sayings I've ever heard is um, every system perfectly leads to the outcomes that it creates and all the conditions that a system creates will perfectly create the outcomes that you have and when you see the outcomes that the NFL has in terms of injuries and stuff like that and the system that is in place within the game it's really interesting and I mean you can really start to see, oh, I understand how this chain of events is leading to to the outcomes that they're having, but I think overall it it just gets to the debate of oh does football needs to change as a game versus are there ways in which the game could still be played the way it is and and avoid the the injuries that would that would happen and and even if you wanted to go into this massive behavioral perspective, the only way to make it to make players really not have the sort of tackles which could lead to the brain injuries would be oh if you do a deliberate targeting play or something like that then you're fined a million dollars like you have to be fined an extreme amount of money to really create that incentive to not do things a million
0: dollars that's a lot
1: man yeah exactly that's a lot of money and that would that would attract (laughs) players from doing anything close to to targeting so but it's not realistic which kind of makes it tough because you gotta find a way in which it's realistic, where the le- it makes sense for the league, makes sense right. for the players, etc. It's like you
0: have to find like that a common ground between yeah. realistic and to a point where mm. you still it won't be like a pushover rule to where like oh I can take that little twenty thousand yeah. dollar fine yeah, I'm making millions mm-hmm. stuff like that like it's not There's gonna still affect like
1: me like an actual incentive to not do right that behavior yeah
0: that makes perfect sense I I completely agree. Maybe not on the one million dollar part, but <laughs> but I get where you're coming from. How yeah. like a strict enforcement of a rule that would be like, hey, it make you think twice for you before you like make that illegal hit or illegal tackle or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So, I commend you on your opinion. <laughs> one of your favorite quotes. I done some research, bro, and I seen that one of your favorite quotes comes from Joseph Campbell. And he says, find a place inside where there's joy, and the joy will burn out the pain.
1: Indeed.
0: How does psychol- like your work in psychology, how does that bring you joy? And how does that help you, since you're doing what you love, how does that help you deal with the everyday struggles of life that everybody encounters?
1: Sure. Yeah, um said that quote in my high school graduation speech, and I still, my mind comes back to it very frequently. There's something that doesn't leave me um, And it's something that I totally buy into. Um, for me and my work, you know, it's understanding the, the meaning of it. So I can give you a, a little yes, lesson, break, a little break lesson it down. on happiness. Um, we all want
0: to know. So,
1: Martin Seligman was the, the president of the Um, of the APA which is the American Psychological Association and when he became president he kind of realized that psychology was mostly focused on how to get people from doing poorly to okay but what he wanted to do was how can we focus on getting people from okay to good okay to great okay to really happy Mm, okay Um, and He started to do research on happiness and and deeper happiness, and he started to dive into that and and found that there were three levels of happiness. The first and most basic being pleasures, so simple short-term pleasures that people get, whether it be consuming large amounts of sugar or sex or whatever. And then the second level, which is a large jump from the first level, is engagement. So when you find activities where you're fully immersed, where it feels like time is flying by, where you can just engage totally. And then the last level, which is the highest level, is meaning. So when you can do an activity and understand the deeper implications of what you're doing. And I think that for me, in the work that I do, I definitely fall in that third category. Um, Whenever I reflect on my work and I have a morning and nightly journal where I kind of synthesize some ideas about that concept of why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the value of what I'm doing? And what sort of progress am I making every day? When I think about that, I think, you know, there's a lot of meaning in what I'm doing, and I find it to be so important, both for myself and for the world, because I think that if we can understand psychology more and how all these different factors within Psychology that we're aware of and perhaps that we're not aware of yet, how can all of those work together to, to create better outcomes for people? Right, and how right. can we create systems that are different? How can we directly intervene with individuals to help them improve their mindsets? How can we do whatever is possible to improve mindsets, to help people live better and more successful lives? Um, I think that that works super meaningful. I mean, if it can help people from disadvantaged backgrounds people who come from places where society seems to say that they weren't going to succeed however when you take that mindset piece into account i've even read articles about how the growth mindset itself and how you can instill it into students who are in poverty can like dismantle the effects of poverty in terms of their academic success. So there are there are lots of reasons as to why this work's really important, and it's been seen over and over again in the research literature, but just continuing to push it and normalize it, make it something that someone who doesn't study psychology knows a lot about because it's incorporated into their school. It's incorporated right. into their parents' lives. It's incorporated into their work, etc. It's incorporated into their sports.
0: Psychology is all around us, Absolutely. Whether, yeah. we are aware, whether we are aware of it or not.
1: Yeah, and the one thing that's constant in our lives is thinking, right?
0: True, like, yes. It's something that
1: we're doing all the time, and the way in which we think and the way in which we interpret what we feel those factors can drastically change who we are what we do the outcomes that we have etc so understanding that I mean our minds are so powerful in terms of what they can allow us to do and what they can allow us to experience in our lives and I think that all of that really ties into be that joy that burns away everything else at the end of the day because if my mind goes to that place or i can really start to really think about that value like i can't think of anything else or or all of the little things that that may not be going well seem to shrink in size
0: and that's what we'll leave you guys with today that good word of advice find a place inside where there's joy and the joy will burn out the pain matt thanks for your time today thanks for coming on The Paradise Perspectives podcast, and good luck in your future endeavors.
1: I appreciate that, man. Cheers.
0: Thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time.